0: My name is Eric McCoy and I am high while clean you know as a Southern California resident I've had I've had a lot of friends who were either from this area or came from around the world to find that dream of fame and fortune in the entertainment industry for many it was that image of a perfect life that's seen on your television screens is it what it really appears to be I've worked with many individuals over the years that were from that world, whether they be actors, actresses, or musicians, and it taught me a lot of things. And most importantly, the ones I worked with were suffering and told me stories that didn't fit with that view of what we see. Once TMZ or news catches wind of substance abuse or mental illness, Their pain is shared with the world and not in a light of a person who is hurting and needs help. These are real people that are cast aside many times as losers or weak. They're no different than me with that exception. My pain and suffering remained quiet with a personal journey. So in a lot of ways, it was easier to deal with. Now my guest today, jeremy dunn or better known to the world as jeremy jackson lived that life he'd starred in dozens of ad campaigns seven episodes on the soap opera santa barbara and a small role in shout that was starring john travolta with hard work and determination he accomplished all of this before his 10th birthday in 1990 he landed the role of hobie on Baywatch where the world saw this boy grow up and it ran for almost 10 years during his successful acting career Jeremy got into the music industry and he released two full-length albums that took him on a European tour in 1996 he was inducted into the young Hollywood Hall of Fame Jeremy I appreciate you coming on the show yeah eric thanks for having me so much yeah absolutely it's been a while since i've seen you yeah it's great to
1: see you again man the beard's looking sharp yeah thank you man
0: (laughs) hey we uh so we recently lost alex trebek from jeopardy Mm. and so as a tribute to him welcome to jeopardy thank you beat out (laughs) leonardo dicaprio in a popular tv show in 1990
1: (laughs) Is is that a true story and that's a true story man uh you know growing up in the entertainment industry um, you know seeing leonardo at uh, at auditions was a common thing you know about the same age and uh you know guys like andrew keegan uh will horniff um you know a, a lot of a lot of kid actors some who grew up to be very successful some uh you know who just had really strong runs as child actors but you know there was uh definitely the front runners that that all the auditions whether it be for a Mattel commercial or a movie or a tv show you know we were the 10 10 year olds 11 year olds 12 year olds that were were getting all the gigs you know so um I think it was just down neck and neck to Leonardo DiCaprio and myself
0: now you hit stardom as a child and you know people like Corey Feldman, Todd Bridges, Macaulay Culkin, you know, that all fell victim to substance abuse. And you experienced similar issues. And what is it within that industry that sends these young people down that path within that industry?
1: Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that uh, I was born with the addiction gene um, as far back as I can remember. Uh, I, I crave to find something outside of me that would make me feel a part of or fit in. Um, I remember life far before acting far before fame being uh, confusing and painful. And, uh, you know, I remember thinking that quite possibly all of the stuff that I'm told not to do, I'm told that's dangerous that's naughty, bad, or wrong must be the things that would hold the secrets to me feeling part of feeling, uh, like it seemed everybody else on the outside, uh, uh felt, um, from my interior perspective, of uh, people getting along in life and doing, uh, daily crap, uh, as if it, it had a purpose. And I didn't feel like anything really had a purpose. So, you know, I can't and I don't blame it on the entertainment industry. However, um, a common theme that you see with these kids um, or, and or these entertainers or uh, whether it be musicians or, or child actors um, is uh, fatherless. Um, that's that's one thing a lot of us have in common. And, uh, you know, I, I tell people that, you know, uh, approval And, uh, and, uh, people pleasing was pretty much my first drug, you know? So as a fatherless kid, um, getting accolades and getting, you know, high fives and handshakes from adults for a job well done, whether it be a song, a dance, um, a a comedy skit, you know, that gave me that rush that gave me a little kick of dopamine that made me feel like maybe I was loved, maybe uh, I, I could be part of, and maybe uh, some this stuff was starting to make sense. So you take that desire to please and and have approval, to find love, to to uh, you know uh, uh, be part of this you know world um, and fit in. And then you couple that with them with some success, some ego, and some cash, and you, I think you got basically a recipe for disaster. You know, a lot, a lot of times it, it comes with, for me specifically, you know, there was a, what they call presumed spouse syndrome, where, you know, all of a sudden you're the breadwinner. You're making more money in your household than anybody else. You're the one that's relied on, counted on needed. And then you got some power to wield, you know, and, you know, if lack of power is my dilemma as an addict and all of a sudden having a bunch is uh, a drug like no other, you know, and I think you find that even with pro athletes, you know, those, those heights of performance, those cheering crowds that, you know, that sense of importance that you experience I mean, it's one thing to do it as an adult. That's why you see a lot of pro athletes go downhill or even, even military, you know, um, high-profile military guys that go and they just – they live that, um, that chaos, high-intensity lifestyle, and then they come home to, to doldrums and, uh, you know, mundanity, and, and it's like, whoa, I, I better recreate this shitstorm with some booze or were some pills, but, you know, having that in your formative years, and then where do you go from there? You know, like how do I feel like a rock star uh, in a normal situation? You know, I'm not signing autographs. I'm not, you know, turning down hundred thousand dollar checks. Uh, like where's my rush? Where's my sense of importance? Where's my uh, power? You know, I, I, I can get that power, find that power temporarily in uh in a drink or a drug. now you grew up without a father
0: and you know how how impactful was like david hasselhoff as a male figure to you
1: well you know david is a bigger than life personality he's uh he's incredibly smart and ca- incredibly charismatic Um, And he wielded that power, you know, he was the fricking Knight Rider. I mean, this guy's got body makeup artists and people bringing him his lunch and he's getting free cars from Audi and, you know, he's getting flown all over the world. And, you know, he was wonderful. He was, um, you know, a, a major demonstration of what it looks like to be the man, you know, um, but is that a realistic, uh, you know, demonstration? Is that a realistic, uh, goal? Is that something that's really achievable to have day in day out? I mean, for the Hoff <laughs> it is, and he's been able to sustain that and, and recreate that and, and, and rebuild that. Um, but you know, for me in my formative years, the, the, the to, that, to achieve that level of awesomeness, um it's pretty gnarly. And, you know, of course he, he, you know, loved me and he did sit me down uh, a few times and, and, and check on me and we're still close to this day. He was just at my 40th birthday party and it was real sweet. He came and, um, you know, really, really was the life of the party and all that. But I tell people that he was really more like a big brother to me, you know? Um, he was a big star. He had all the girls clamoring for him. You know, he was in his early thirties. He didn't want to be a a father figure. You know, he, he wasn't ready to, to, you know, pump the brakes and say, Hey, wait a minute, here's this hyperactive fatherless kid that really needs somebody to shoot straight. You know, he had uh, other things to worry about. So, uh, you know, it was a, it was
0: good and bad, I guess you could say, You know, you and I, you and I have had a lot of conversations in the past and I've always felt that it could be a lonely life for people in this industry. And, you know, as an actor, you play a role of someone that isn't necessarily you. Right. So when people meet you, they realize that this isn't the person who I was ultimately expecting (laughs) and possibly disappointed with who they are meeting. How accurate, Mm. how accurate is that idea? It's incredibly
1: accurate. Um, You know, before the cameras were rolling here, you, you mentioned that, um, you know, through your research and our experience together that you were, you know, impressed with my humility and, um, and I think my, my humility and, or my, really wanting to level myself down as much as possible and, and potentially just instead of bringing myself up, focus on bringing other people up is based on exactly that. So yes, people have an expectation and, you know, coming up, we're talking elementary school from, you know, being the kid on all the cereal commercials and the, you know, Mervins and fucking hot wheels and, and whatever it was, there's this expectation. And I always just, I just had a desire to be um, seen for myself. And then you get into the high school years, which are even more gnarly, you know, everybody's a jerk in high school and a big shot and, and all that stuff. So, you know, I spent most of my time off screen working twice as hard to just be the least version of me as I could so that people would just see me, you know, because they are expecting somebody there. They're expecting you to be a jerk. First off, that's off the rip. They're just expecting you to be an egotistical a-hole and think you're cooler than them. So you can't almost say anything without them wondering Oh, is he saying that I I dealt for a long time. I dealt with people thinking, Oh yeah, but you're an actor, you know, you're a really good liar. So I can't trust you. Or, um, you know, did he say that because, you know, he's got money, more money than me, or is he acting like that? Because he, this it's really, it's a really strange paradigm to have to navigate through to, um, just self deprecate basically enough to where people like, Oh, Oh, he's just a, he's just the guy trying to be a guy. He's just a dude trying to be, you know, just, just exist. Oh. um, So that's, that's really where the humility comes from is, is a, is an undying desire to just be a worker amongst workers. Really.
0: As I, as I did say that before we did kind of come on here that, You know, I have worked with a lot of people again over the years from that industry, um, whether they be, again, actors or musicians and stuff like that. And and I knew I knew a little bit about you when we had met, um, but I did appreciate so much that we didn't talk about that stuff and we did have real conversations. And that's where I did really feel that you were that genuine person with that humility and, um, and that made it very enjoyable. Um, Thank you, man. You know, and I, you know, as I was kind of thinking about all that stuff, you know, that, you know, that concept means to me, as I had said before, that, you know, friends in that aspect are probably a lot more of acquaintances and are pretending to like you for your image or possibly what they feel that they get from you. Yeah. And um, so... I was I had asked you before this, and so the, the media and especially TMZ shows the worst of people. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to show you a clip of, okay. one of their shows, which was at the time <laughs> that you went on celebrity rehab with Dr. Drew. Okay. And her good all friend, right Bob Forrest. It, yeah. <laughs> and to me, when I you gotta have him on the show next. Yeah, I did have him actually. Uh, nice. It was awesome. a while. It was a while ago uh, okay. when He's I was fine. Yeah. I love Bob. Um, but but this video to me was comical because it was really evident that they twist information, you know, mm-hmm. strictly for ratings. And obviously that means they lie. yeah yeah so hyper hyper truth it's called hyper truth absolutely so take a look at it okay
2: Former Baywatch star Jeremy Jackson has just checked into Celebrity Rehab, where he hopes to conquer his dangerous addiction. And guess what he's addicted to? What? Fitness. Yes! Jeremy Jackson is addicted to fitness, and it's had a shocking effect on his body. Good God, look at him! He's all toned and ripped with the muscles and the abs and the, uh... What were we talking about again? The pictures are unbelievable. Looks like... A sculpture of a man's body. Okay, sure, he looks amazing, but addiction is addiction, even if it makes you look awesome. He's so addicted to being ripped and cut and in shape that he's taking so many vitamins and chemicals like human growth hormone, testosterone, B12. He's injecting it all. Can't you get, like, dead from that? Not exactly a clinical definition, but yes, you can get dead from that. So stay out of this place. Time. What a game. It is bad because like if you like it's one thing to like feel like you need to go every day, but then it's another thing that you need to keep going back all day long.
0: Are you concerned? (laughs) (laughs) What time are you
2: in the gym every morning? don't listen to her boss you look great but it's true fitness can be an addiction on the plus side it's an addiction that 99 percent of america doesn't seem to suffer from we're looking at you wisconsin jeremy looks like i mean he's about to pop out of his own skin it's it's getting to a bad point so he then sees a problem or he wants to be on tv well either way we wish you luck jeremy we hope you beat your sexy sexy addiction but uh Hang on to those abs, gay. Okay? He is one attractive man. What's that? Oh, this is still on? Crap.
1: <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. So what, what do you think about that? Uh, you know, so this is one of those particular situations where instead of, uh, instead of fighting it, I went with it. So, um, so I had been sober, clean and sober for probably around eight years at that time and, uh, possibly 10 and, uh, every year celebrity rehab would contact my manager and they would say, Hey, is Jeremy still sober? And he would call me, Hey, it's a hundred grand. Hey, it's 50 grand. You know, the, the, uh, the, offer changed all the time based on their necessity for, for somebody and my manager at the time not knowing anything about the recovery um and the severity of of our particular uh disease he was like dude why don't you it's a hundred grand why don't you just drink a beer and go check in you know and i was like you know dude i was turning down a hundred thousand dollar beer year after year so like on the third year i was like all right listen i'm uh i'm taking you know." uh, testosterone from a doctor. I'm taking HGH. I'm, you know, and I can make it look pretty scary. Like I'm doing these B12 shots. It's a huge syringe in my ass, you know? And, uh, you know, we can, he's like, I don't think they're going to go for it. I said, just send them to my house with a camera and I'll scare them, you know? So they come over and I'm like, Oh, flexing. Like, Oh, Oh, feels so good. Oh, like really hamming it up. (laughs) They sent, they sent who over The uh, celebrity rehab sent a camera crew to my house to do a potential intake video, you know, and the, the producers were going to watch this video and see if they thought it was shock value enough to qualify as something that it was a disease or dangerous or, or needed to be addressed. Right. Um, so I really hammed it up. And, uh, I went and I did that photo shoot beforehand, like, let me, and I fed them, I fed them all this stuff. Um, I gave them the bait and, and they took it. And, you know, when I watched that, I'm like, oh, this compared to other crap, this is great. They're saying, I look good. They're saying I'm sexy. I'm a sculpture. I'll take that stuff all day long. That, that one, you know, that particular time worked out in my favor. And really the God's honest truth is when you see most of this stuff, It's called hyper reality, and um, they're called setups. You know, you see most of these celebrities when they're walking out of Gucci or in the breakup or whatever. It it used to be where, you know, the cameras would really bombard these people and stalk them. And there's still situations where people are going through true life travesties, and these these photographers have to um, get real greasy and and grimy and play dirty. But I'd say ninety. Five percent of the time, there's an agreement between the celebrity and the photographer to on what they're going to say, how they're going to look, where they're going to be, what they're going to be doing, and they'll set up all kinds of stuff from rescuing a kitten from a tree to you know get you know getting in an argument or coming out of a store with you know fifty thousand dollars in merchandise and the store is giving them that stuff so they'll come out with that stuff and it'll get on TV. Um, you know, that's the way TMZ and, and, and the uh, whole tabloid industry works these days. Um, you know, but there's other situations that like, you know, uh, stuff that's going on with my ex-wife and stuff that's a little bit different, but um, that's, that was that particular situation. So I feel victorious in that one. Like I got the upper hand. I am an addict. I always have room to grow. Um, I have... I have, um, you know, turned, I have the ability to turn anything positive into my, my, my slave driver, you know, whether it's fitness, whether it's love money, uh, you know, vitamins. Yeah. I've been owned by vitamins. Like I can't have a good day because I forgot to take my vitamins. Like my, my psyche is, and can be that delicate. Um, if I'm, if I'm, if I have spiritual unrest, when my waters are not still and able to reflect heaven clearly, as they say.
0: Now you did have a problem with steroids. I got out. I I did,
1: uh, you know, I, as uh, per, per the usual, you know, I went to a doctor and I got on prescription testosterone for low testosterone function And, you know, it was all, all good, but yeah, then I did do extra and I did do stuff that wasn't prescribed and I did take exorbitant amounts of stuff to achieve this, uh, this, this goal. And, and it did, um, it did, uh, block me off from the sunlight of the spirit, as they say, it did, uh, end up owning me to where, you know, my whole goal was originally to, to move back to LA after some success in the nightlife industry. Like I said, I had been sober for years and, uh, I was going to go and be the next alone. I had, a, I, I hadn't acted in a long time on purpose. I bowed out gracefully and worked on me. And I got to a point where I thought I could handle certain things and I could take certain risks. And, um, and I saw it as a, you know, uh, you know, you got to bet big to win big. You know, I'm going to move to L.A. and I'm going to get so ripped and retarded that, um, that people aren't going to be able to ignore it. They're going to be like, put this guy in a movie. Look at him. You know, he, he's got a 10 years in front of a camera plus. Um, and now look at him. He's a man. He's not a kid anymore. I was really trying to break a stereotype and get out of that beach, you know, beach boy surfer thing into like a military, you know, badass grown up. Um, and unfortunately, like we talked about it, it did end up owning me to, to the point where I'd be getting audition calls. I'd be getting, uh, you know, appointments I was supposed to go to. And I was, I was, oh, I was dieting too strict. I didn't have the energy. I didn't feel good. I, I took too much of this. Now I got to stay home. I'm sweating profusely from whatever I'm injecting. I, you know, I can't show up today. And so, you know, it, it, it ended up kicking my ass for sure.
0: Now, now, throughout the years, you've had a few different situations where you've been accused of stabbings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and one is with your ex-wife. Well, that was – she didn't say stabbing; She said choking. Yeah, that I choked her. Okay. And then you had uh, two other situations. I know one of them was dropped.
1: Hmm.
0: So what was the situation there? What, what, what did –
1: Well, the one that was dropped was the only real one. Um, I actually know it wasn't. So the one that was dropped, uh, was an attempted armed robbery where this guy had a gun and he was falsely imprisoning uh, me and, uh, he stole my car and, uh, he was stealing my money and my drugs. And at the time I was pretty, uh, pretty, it was, it was shortly after my separation, um, which drove me into a massive downward spiral. I got really blindsided with some, some super unfortunate, heartbreaking, um, you know, betrayal. I was just lost and I, and I gave up on life, so to speak. I, 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 I felt like I had followed the rules and done really good. Um, And, and uh, you you know, when I, when the rug got pulled out from me, essentially I said, all bets are off, you know, I'm going for broke. I'm going to sell drugs. I'm going to be as bad as I can be. Um, And uh, you know, Hollywood white boy, you know, out doing dirt with the dirtiest of the dirty. And, and, and there was multiple times where I was robbed, uh, nasty fights, held a gunpoint, uh, attempted kidnappings, all this kind of crazy stuff. And this particular situation, I decided to fight back and protect myself. And I had a knife. And, uh, after about two hours of this guy who was injecting methamphetamines and in, in, in full flight from reality, who was a known gang member, far bigger than me, far scarier than me. Um, I bided my time and, and I waited for the opportunity and, and, uh, he pulled the gun on me one more time through, put it in my face and I, I fought back and, uh, I, you know, won that exchange and, and he went off running and yeah, I was uh, arrested for, uh, for, uh, assault with a deadly weapon. I went to jail. I had to bail out. Um, and, uh, I had a, a case hanging over my head and I lost, gosh, I, I, I must've lost. 30 grand in that situation, uh, everything that was in my apartment at the time was gone, um, stolen, taken into evidence, uh, you know, bail, it was just a nightmare. Um, but, uh, you know, I was playing with fire and I got burnt regardless. When I went back to court some months later, um, the DA threw it out. They, they found the gun at the scene. The guy was wanted. Um, it, for a shooting, uh, a year previous and had been on the run. Um, he was a known, known gang member. So that one, that one got dropped. And shortly after that, um, I was borrowing a friend's car. My car had gotten stolen by that guy, right? Lost my money. And I was borrowing a friend's car and some other drug addict known criminals, uh, with, nasty, nasty records. Uh, and these were my, these were my people, you know, lower companionship is what we gravitate towards when we're feeling our worst. We just want to be around people that are as bad or worse than us. So we don't have to look at ourselves. You know, these people stole the car that I was borrowing. And, uh, and I was like, you know what? my stuff's already gone, stolen, ruined. You know, I'm not going to drag somebody else into this because of my bad mistakes. So I went after these people to get this car back. I found them. And, and I, I tried to plead with them and say, just, just, I, I know how it is. I know, I know what it is to just have to survive to get by whatever you did to trade the car for some drugs or whatever crap's going on. Like, let's just get it back. Like, um, and, uh, these people said that they were going to do it. You know, I had a little bit of money in my pocket. I bought them some food. (laughs) We were, I was in the car. There was a guy, a girl, and, uh, they brought another friend into the situation, this other guy. And, um, after literally a day and a half of uh wild goose chases over promising, under delivering, um, It was late at night and we were in a very dark, uh, strange part of, of a desolate area. And, uh, the two guys started conspiring outside of the car and, uh, he left the keys in this, this was a, their car, this was a different car. And, um, he left the keys in the ignition and I started getting really spooked. It was, it was going to get ugly. I got out of the car and I tried to talk to them and they like, they like waved me off, like go back in the car. Hold on, hold on. We're talking about something. And, um, and I was just like, man, this isn't good. This is going to get bad. So I jumped in the driver's seat of the car that they were driving, that they had stolen. And I started the car. I pulled out a pocket knife and I, pulled it out to the girl that was in the passenger seat. And I said, get out of the car right now, get out of the car. I had to leave the doors unlocked because if I locked the door, she's locked in there with me. Right. And if I unlock, keep the doors unlocked, I got 20 seconds until these guys run up on the car and drag me out. So I'm screaming at her to get out of the car. She doesn't get out of the car. Instead of getting out of the car, she puts her back against the passenger seat and starts kicking me with both feet in the face, you know, back pushed bang, bang, bang. And I have a knife in my hand and I've trained boxing, martial arts, jiu-jitsu, self-defense for many years. Um, and only skeletal strengths will beat muscular strength. So two legs against one arm, even though it's a smaller female, two legs are going to win. And I I clearly remember having to choose between injuring myself, putting myself in jeopardy or keeping my elbow locked and my wrist straight as she's kicking me and trying to jump over on top of me. Um, Meanwhile, I'm just staring in the side view mirror waiting until the very last second to take off. You know, I didn't, I wasn't even looking at her. Um, you know, if I would have protected her from the knife, then I would have endangered her body weight coming on me, her legs kicking my arm this way. I just had to keep it rigid. It was dark. I don't know if she even knew what was happening, that she was getting cut by kicking the knife, kicking my arm, kicking my face by jumping on top of me. So I took off and, uh, she started screaming. So I said, I'm going to stop the car and you're going to get out, right? You're going to get out. She said, yes. I slammed on the brakes. She jumped out of the car. I took off and, uh, the car ran out of gas. Now these guys are in a car chasing their, their other friend had a car that was just a couple of car lengths behind us. So I'm trying to get away and protect myself. And, um, the car runs out of gas. So I coast into a gas station, um, with the engine completely off and I run inside the gas station and I tell the gas station attendant to call the police. Um, I have blood all over me and the police come and I'm like, I don't know what to tell you other than my life is in danger and I need help. You know, I don't want to be a narc. I don't want to be a snitch. I'm not trying to name names. I'm not trying to, you know what I mean? Like these were bad. I'm with bad people doing bad things. And, you know, I just need help. I'm, i mean, my life's in danger right now. And the cops said, well, unless you can give us, are are willing to give us an official report, we can't do anything. And they left me at the gas station, bloody scared. And I called an Uber. (laughs) I called my mom actually, and my mom got me an Uber from the gas station phone, and I just went home to Orange County like a month later. I get picked up um, by the Orange County Police Department on a uh assault with a deadly weapon and uh, you know this girl said that that none of that other stuff happened, and I just had a grudge against her and stabbed her for no reason because I didn't like her. Um, I fought the case for a year and a half, that's when we were. That's when we were working together. When I was over at um, SCAC, I I had an ankle monitor on. I was looking at seven years in prison. I was scared, crapless, and uh, you know, I managed to do what I needed to do. You know, become a registered uh, alcohol drug technician. Um, You know, I got certified in breathwork meditation, certified in personal training. You know, went through the CPR thing with you guys. you know, I accumulated some letters from uh, people in the recovery community and, uh, you know, the, the judge, uh, you know, saw fit to, to give me one year in county jail. So I did one year in county jail and uh, the price was paid for that and uh, got some probation. And, uh, you know, hopefully that's the last time I ever have to be in life or death uh, hideous circumstances like that you know and it was really that wheel was all set in motion from uh from the the separation from my ex-wife i just i just stopped caring and when you stop caring you're around other people who stop caring you don't care about the quality of your life you're around other people who don't care about the quality of their life and you just open pandora's box for all types of darkness to come against you man it was it was the worst the worst uh times of my life for sure
0: yeah now you're your ex-wife was, my understanding, reappeared on your 40th birthday. From my understanding, some
1: somewhat there's been some trickling um, happening um, on the internet. And
0: I know she disappeared for two years, and wasn't seen. Nobody knew where she was, and and then all of a sudden she does reappear, and now she is homeless. Uh, yeah living in Venice.
1: Yeah, Venice and I I have some friends that try to keep tabs on her for me. Um that she's uh often off Melrose up in Hollywood as well. I think maybe like uh summertime maybe down in Venice and and winters more towards Hollywood. But um you know she, what I didn't realize while we were married, you know, she was she she was a, a porn star and a stripper and uh we i fell in love with her when i was 21 and she was 20 and you know i was sober uh you know that was well, I, I first got sober when i was 20 all the way into um actually when we separated you know and uh you know I just, uh, I always had a, I always just had the biggest crush on her and had, had special feelings for her, but I had a hard time wrapping my head around kind of wifing up a a practicing stripper, you know? Um, and I, and, you know, I knew her story and she had been abused and she had been neglected, you know, her parents and and her ex-boyfriend was a, was a meth addict that Um, you know, didn't love her and was addicted to porn. And, you know, she got into porn to try to please him. And, you know, when you know someone's backstory like that, you just, you have nothing but forgiveness. Like, Oh, I, I understand. Like, Oh my gosh, that's horrible. Like I get it. I see that, that I see that path, you know, to be not loved by your parents and to be neglected by your parents and to be passed around, you know, like trash and have a crazy mom. And, you know, um, gosh, people gave up on you and I I don't want to ever give up on you. Um, you know, we, we dated for some time. She was a a major lush and I was sober and it just didn't work out in our early years, but we, we stayed friends for, for four or five years and we lost touch for uh, a few years, about four years. And when she resurfaced, funny enough, right when I was going into celebrity rehab, you know, I had a ton of money in the bank and, uh, you know, I looked great. I felt great. And she was in a nur- in nursing school and she was trying to phase out of stripping. And I thought, oh my gosh, like, how cool is it that we lost touch? We both worked on ourselves and like, I've always been in love with you. You look better than ever. And like the, the one thing that was keeping us from being apart is, is changing and, and, uh, so we started dating and, and I took it really slow, man. I was, I was really cautious that time of my life. I, I was very regimented and, 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 and specific in my goals. I had very clear vision of what I wanted in life and where I wanted to go and what I was doing. And, uh, you know, so we dated for about six months, you know, we started living together for like a six months. And, um, it was about a year in, uh, I, or more. I, I, uh, I proposed, we got engaged, we were engaged for a year and, um, you know, right about the time we got married, we were married for two years. Um, she, I, I had put her through school to become an esthetician. So she was getting her esthetician's license because the nursing program was too stressful for her from what she said, she had a few breakdowns, a a few anxiety attacks, a few breakdowns. And she wasn't able to, she didn't have the mental capacity and the, uh, the emotional capacity to, to get through this nursing program. It was just too much. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we decided to go with the esthetician route. We built a spa in our house for her. We had a beautiful home and a beautiful dog and two cars. And I was training celebrities and C-suite executives, making money hand over fist and Life seemed to be pretty good, but she was having these uh, these flare-ups where she would call me from work crying and, and, and saying that she could hear the other nurses in the other room talking bad about her and people don't like her. And, you know, for me, being like the supportive husband, you know, I thought, oh, you know, she's used to, like, stripper girls, you know. She's used to that mentality of having – people talk about, you know, that, that vindictive girl stuff. I, I, I had no inkling that it might have been more, you know, and then there were some, some, you know, we got into some couples counseling. There were some bigger flare-ups where she would, um, she would withhold love for, for weeks at a time. And it would, it would take like a trip to Maui or, or something extra romantic um, where she would kind of come to terms and say, yeah, well, you know, you were singing that song in the shower, you know, and, and I, and I just thought you wanted to leave me. And I'm like, what? I, sh- I thought you were like telling me that you didn't love me anymore. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I was just like singing in the shower. I was just a song. I had nothing to do with my feelings for you. It's just like, when well, you get a song stuck in your head. You know, it would take a lot of work to reconvene and and find our groove again. Stuff like this started happening a lot where, she would uh, have uh, have a visualization in the office. She worked for a plastic surgeon that, that she was going to stab somebody with the instruments and she would come home shaking. And I was like, Oh, this is just anxiety. You know, this is just, this is just big girl pants. This is the first time she's ever been a big girl and had responsibility. And, and, you know, she doesn't feel like she's good enough. She doesn't feel like she's smart enough. Um, she doesn't feel like she deserves this, but, but I believe she does in that time. You know, I coached her. I, I, I coached her diet. I made her food. I sent her off to work with lunches, and you know, she became a nine-time bikini fitness competitor. I got her on the cover of magazines. I really just wanted to make her be a queen and feel like a queen and and, and own own the magic that I saw in her. Um, and I lo- really just lost touch with myself, man. It just became all. She became my drug. She became my god. I worshipped the ground she walked on and my every waking moment was trying to keep her head above water and, uh, to encourage her. So I completely lost myself. I was completely blind. Um, and I, sta- I s- started breaking down. I started, you know, having conversations with my mom. It was wearing on me like, Oh my gosh, like, what if, you know, what if this isn't going to work, you know, um, regardless her paranoia, or paranoid delusions, whatever those were, I'm not a psychiatrist. I can't diagnose them. Got really bad. Uh, She would show up to the gym. I would be training a male client and she'd show up dead sure that I was cheating on her with another girl. And this, it became really constant. And eventually she just was convinced and she, you know, she put tape over her phone um, and was recording Uh, an argument we were having where I lost my temper and I threw a beer through the TV and, um, and she just started screaming, you're you're hurting me. You're hurting me. And, and I was just bewildered. Like what, like, what are you even talking about? Uh, uh, You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Everything's fine. What are you doing? Screaming to the tops of her lungs, stop it. You're hurting me. And it was just like watching a scene from a movie. It was the, most surreal out of body experience I've ever had. It was so confusing and strange, you know, I left the house and the cops came from her screaming. And she said that I broke her rib. She said that I tried to kill her. Meanwhile, she had attacked me, head butted me, made her own nose bleed, ripped 30 grand cash from my uh from my arms that i was trying to get out of the house with um i left the house with just shorts and uh, and keys no shoes no t-shirt i would she wouldn't let me leave with my my wallet nothing um and then all of a sudden i hear that the cops are looking for me for attempted murder and these claims that she had made and it um it just scared the holy crap out of me and I, I identify at that time I identified with the offender. I had battered spouse syndrome from all the crap, from all the codependency, from all the fixing and the broken bird, you know, broken wing stuff. I thought I was convinced it was my fault and I had let her down. I had ruined us somehow. And that, that's really what sent me into the biggest downward spiral ever. Now I got an amazing attorney that was a former DA that was, uh, uh, had been a detective, was a former DA and was now a defense attorney. And, you know, he read the report, he talked to me and he looked me square in the eyes and I've never believed anybody more in that moment than I believed what he said. And he said, Jeremy, I've been doing this for 30 years. If you ever talk to that woman again, you will end up in prison. Just if you do not have any contact with her, this is going to go away. And I literally went into hiding and I couldn't call the woman I loved. I was aching, just broken, aching. All I wanted to do was talk to her. And, uh, you know, she started rubbing stuff in my face. She was hanging out with g easy She was on Dan Bilzerian's yacht. You know, she was bragging about having sex with, with, uh, uh, uh Chris Brown like all this stuff like and you know started dating these other fitness guys like right away like it it was just just crushing and I couldn't even you know call her regardless A year later, something like that, I see on her Instagram or her Facebook, somebody sends me a screenshot of her Facebook that, you know, she tried to kill herself. She tried to OD. Um, you know, then I've heard she had like 30 days in recovery flash forward, like another year, it's like two years since I've had any contact with her and people are calling me and saying, Jeremy, you need to help her. I'm like, I need to help her just because I managed to put my life back together. Barely doesn't it mean I can do anything for her? Like, you know, and they're like, Oh, you're heartless. You don't understand. She's drinking every day. She shaves her head. And I still had no idea. Yeah, was a call. I still had no idea that what we had gone through together was any type of mental breakdown on her part. She was the boss. As far as I was concerned, she was the head honcho. What she said went, um, I had given her all of, all of me and she was the leader. So I still thought it was my fault. I still thought I was this broken guy trying to put it back together. Then all of a sudden I see this, these pictures of her dead homeless pushing a shopping cart, filthy, and it hit me. Oh my gosh. She was slipping from reality that whole time. Then all these people want me to help her. They're blaming it on me. I'm getting messages. It's all my fault. I ruined her life. You know, why don't you help her? If you ever loved her, you would help her. I'm like, oh my gosh, I loved her more than anybody I've ever loved in my life. I did everything. I gave her everything. I can't do anything now.
0: If you had, if you were to tell her something, what would that be? If you had something, if you had one thing that you would want to get out to her, what would that be? Mm.
1: I mean, there really is help. There really is a solution, even though she doesn't know it, see it, has yet to experience it, no matter how far down the scale we have gone, there is hope. There is a solution. And all she has to do is surrender to the process and give herself over mental care and get stabilized. And, you know, I've, uh, you know, I I could help at, at an arms distance. You know, I could help from behind the scenes. I know doctors, right. We can get her brain scanned. We can, you know, we can get her on the right medication and we can get her uh, to be, a a functioning person in society again it's not impossible and i wouldn't want anybody to um you know even though she says she's happy and to everybody leave her alone and she has new friends and this is her new life and nobody loves her you know i i i know that's a miserable existence i've been there i've i've tried to live that way and um i know that it's miserable you know and she doesn't deserve to be miserable nobody does regardless of what she did to me um it wasn't her it was a it was a mental disease
0: the main reason i wanted to have you on here is number one obviously i wanted to show people that you're a real person that you're not those characters and that you are just like all of us you have fears you have sadness, you know, you have pain, and you have all of those things that, that come with most of us that obviously have been through this substance abuse problem in our life. And that was one of the reasons. second reason is how do you get high today? High wall clean, how do you get high today? <laughs> uh, you know,
1: self-forgetting, man. The less I can think of myself, the higher I feel the more I can plug into others and being used by a higher power for a higher purpose. That's when I feel my highest.
0: That's beautiful, man. It really is.
1: Thank you, bro. I
0: mean, that's why, you know, that's the way a lot of us feel, you know, obviously in this industry that when we're able to get out there and we're able to help people be that You know, have that altruistic nature of putting our hands out. And then seeing people succeed, you know, is obviously the the big part. Absolutely, yeah. And so are you – so you're still really heavy into the the fitness stuff. I know the last time I saw you, you were putting a lot of programs together where you were taking a lot of the people from recovery, taking them out to the beach. Mm -hmm. You had these uh, crazy – exercise scenarios <laughs> yeah 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 and I mean I'm, I'm sure a little of that stuff has changed because of COVID but what what does that look for look like for you today and in the future
1: yeah well you know uh, I, I, I got back into boxing about four months ago um, it's, it's a real challenge with like dyslexia and ADD, the, the, sequencing of boxing, the, the, uh, the, um, choreography of boxing. So real challenge. It was not, it hasn't been fun. It hasn't uh, been something that comes naturally to me. Um, so I I like doing stuff that I'm not great at, um, taking on new challenges. Uh, I've gotten back into jujitsu recently. Um, and I'm having a lot of fun right now with just, Fun, fun routine. So I've been getting up at 5am every day and I go to jujitsu with uh, a sober buddy of mine who's a a champion MMA fighter, a young guy. And uh, that's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then I, I usually jump in this group fitness class. It's pumping music. It's kind of girly stuff, but, but we have fun. You know, so not taking fitness too seriously and 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 turning it more into a dance. You know, it's a there's a rhythm, you know, rather than uh, trying to achieve a result, um, uh, just finding that rhythm and that and that fun flow of just moving, just moving, not not moving with a, a determined goal or outcome. But just to move and to have fun with other people. And then uh, occasionally, you know, uh, we go out to Laguna Beach right there on Main Beach and we get a, a group of guys that come out and we just do a fun workout. And, you know, it's interesting to see people come up and they ask how much it is or where, you know, uh, what's the program. And we're like, it's free, like jump in, come work out. And they're like, really? Okay. You know, um, so just giving it away has been fun. And, uh, boxing jiu-jitsu group fun group fitness classes outdoors you know like you said the gym stuff's different i think it's been a blessing really people got to get creative i've had to get creative i uh, had to go out in the alley and just do pushy push-ups and burpees and um you know uh it, it makes you lean i think in these times make you makes you lean more on your community more on some fellowship like Hey, I'm not just going to go to the gym alone and put my headphones on and 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 be a weirdo like chasing these pecs. It's like we I got to move to stay sane, you know, and uh, and keep my pain threshold high because if if I get too comfortable, stuff starts to hurt, you know. So it's it's been fun um, moving with that, figuring that out, and, and bringing other people along for the ride.
0: So one of the things I always like to do when I end this show is is give you an opportunity. Is there anything that you'd like to share to those that are maybe suffering out there or people that are sober and clean and sober and how they can ultimately move forward? Oh man, you know, I guess there's, there's
1: two groups of people, man. There's, there's the ones that think maybe, you know, there might be something better there it might not be that bad yet and, or you might be kind of coping. Um, And to those people, I'd just like to say that, um, you know, full potential uh, maximum effectiveness in your family, for yourself and your community and your spiritual connection um, is waiting for you. Um, And that there's a very simple, set of uh practices that you can put into place that you can apply to your life a very very simple recipe to be free from uh resentment to be free from fear um self uh insecurity worry doubt um you know old old news and uh it's really gonna facilitate some awesome movement in your life, as far as leveling up goes and and embracing, uh, more, you know, and, and then there's the people who are really broken, who don't think there's any hope and who just are trapped. And, uh, I feel like those are really more my folks, you know, that's, that's more where I have to be until I'm ready. And, uh, you know, to those people, we got to change everything. And I would suggest finding somebody like myself or somebody that you resonate with who speaks and, and, and carries themselves in a way that looks appetizing to you and looks maybe impossible to you and do anything and everything they say and do nothing <laughs> that you think uh, and just follow their script and see what happens. Um, we have uh, we have new principles and, and and new processes that we live by that we apply all of our problems to. You know, it's one thing to talk about um, you know uh, uh, ascension and 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 freedom and um, and, and you know uh, uh, principles and guidelines and, and and a process for success. It's one thing to talk about it but practical application on a moment to moment basis for any and everything that you do is a totally different story. And that's a living organism that has to be supplanted with your, your previous, uh, your previous process. And once that takes anchor in you, uh, it's just like opening a brand new pair of eyes and seeing life from a whole new perspective. And I wish that and hope that for everybody, regardless if you're dealing with drugs or you know, bereavement, <laughs> grief and loss, gambling, sex, food, um, it doesn't have to rule you anymore. And you just jump in with somebody like myself or with Eric and, and, uh, let us give it to you. Cause we're dying to give it away.
0: Absolutely. I always tell everybody they can always contact me at recovery at gmail.com and, and, uh, I'll help out people in any way I can. Yep. I'm Jeremy Jackson fitness
1: at, at, uh, on Instagram. I'm very active on there. So come and say, Hey,
0: well, Jeremy, I want to thank you very much for coming thank you. here. And, um, uh, I want to thank everybody tuning in for another episode of high wall clean. Keep getting high. Do it while clean. That's right.